going on. Um, so I guess my first question I'm curious about is, and it's kind of, I kind of want to dive in. Um, CC, you sent me kind of a separate of the questionnaire, um, some philosophy on, on life. And I thought that was pretty interesting about, you know, how to look about, look at life and how to see life. And, um, so I'm hoping you can explain that a little bit more in depth and, and give some insight. Cause I think there's a lot of people who on a daily basis struggle with how do I, how do I get through life? How do I deal with challenges and struggles and, and things that life throws? So do you want to kind of ex- explain a little bit more on, on that topic? Be glad to. Awesome. I I grew up on a small farm in a little teeny town in southern Utah. And tragedy started fairly early in my life. When I was six years old, I had an older sister that was killed immediately when she was hit by a truck. Hmm. Uh, when I was 16 years old, my dad had a heart attack and died. Wow. Uh, after I had, was in the Air Force, two of my very closest friends were uh, shot down and never returned in Vietnam. Uh, my wife, at age 68, one day up and dies for no reason at all. Uh, a year and a half ago, we had a daughter that developed cancer and passed away at 53. Mm. Uh, last year, we had a grandson and his fiance and a great-granddaughter, 11 months old, killed in a car wreck. Mm. So the philosophy that I explained was that there's going to be dark days. But tomorrow the sun's going to shine. And I have learned that. And it is sad, but yet it is something that I have learned to adjust to. Mm. Interesting. And what, like, you know, that's something, and you shared your experiences where, you know, these things have happened in your life that probably built upon that. But I'm sure you kind of have developed that philosophy in your life over time. What what kind of helped you figure that out and come to that kind of mentality? I wish I knew. Uh, it, As I explained to you in the article that I sent to you, this is something that has developed over many years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, Matt, I'm not sure when I can say that I really learned that philosophy. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that I grew up the way that I did uh, contributed to that. And then as I developed faith, as I uh, had responsibilities, it further developed that that philosophy. And I am really happy that I'm where I am now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. I think one thing that's really helped with me and, and with handling those type of things is there's so tem- so many tender mercies that come along with those things that happen mm. that are wonderful things. You know, there's always the good and the bad, the bad and the good. And so if you can look at the tender mercies and, and pick those out, that really helps a lot in being able to deal with the, the sad things that happen. Mm. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, one thought I had when I was reading that paragraph, that you know, the thing you sent me in that email, and um, you know, sometimes like the sun shining. I like that example because the sun shining is not like something. It, it's a simple thing, right? It comes up every day. It's always there, but it's simple and it can be easily overlooked. But it's, uh, but it's a joyous thing, right? It's a good thing, and and so I think sometimes find those simple you know, things to be grateful for. Like you said, the tender mercies that you could easily overlook if you choose to. But that's, so I think that's really, I, I think that's a powerful example of of something to kind of tie it back to. I love that. But it's real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's tangible, right? You can feel it, you can see it. I, I, I like that a lot. 
because yeah, everyone like I mean, there's gonna be lots of hard times, and I think a lot of people face that. And I think a lot of people who who listen feel that way. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons we kind of do the podcast. So, um, our, yeah, go ahead. When our um, grandson died and our little great granddaughter and and Caroline. It was one of the tender mercies that we had with that was the night before we'd had our Christmas party yeah. at our house. And they were there. And they were kind of quiet and usually kind of kept to themselves. But that night they were so involved with everything and they were gave us multiple hugs. Mm. And it was like a such a joyful time that that was something that just made us really appreciate the times we time we had with them in such a special time to to think about when we rather than the really sadness of them being killed in a car accident. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a that that that's a good example of wow, huh. And they were typically pretty pretty quiet, you say. They were. Yeah. Huh. And huh. they they had had their struggles with drugs and, and things like that and they but they were on an upward path. They were they were getting their life together and, and just getting ready to really live a more righteous life, and so that was a, a tender mercy, also. Yeah, that's yeah, kind of they were in a good, a good a spot. A good spot. Yeah. Huh. Wow. And you guys have both had like just from what I read, and then also knowing you for a while, <laughs> you guys have both lived in lots of different places, like kind of unique, just kind of like unique lives. I've lived full lives, I guess is a good way to say it, and. Uh, Tell me a little bit about those experiences. You know, you, you CT, you were in the Air Force, and I don't. I wish I knew more about you, Diane, but uh, that's why we're here today, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but I know you said you, you you travel around and you lived a lot of different places. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure th- those all contributed to oh, you yeah. know who you are today, and that even that mindset that you have of you know, there's so many good things to look at in in even the stormiest of days. I I think now. Uh, She's lived here longer than she has any place else yeah. in her whole life <laughs> and has moved less in the last 20 years or 30 years. I think the first 25, year, 30, 25 years at least, I lived in probably 18 different or, or more homes. Mm-hmm. We lived in Memphis and Indiana and then Florida and then we went to Hawaii and why was that? What was uh, my ex-husband? He was uh, he was in international. He went to the international school, Thunderbird. Oh, okay. And he wanted to be uh, go foreign, but we ended up just going to like Hawaii, and then well, we did go to the Philippines, and and then he started business in Hawaii. But he was kind of an entrepreneur. Oh, gotcha. And so it was all work, you know, going to those different places, but we had some awesome experiences. 15 years in Hawaii, but we lived in a few different areas of Hawaii, so Mm. on the big island. That's a good place to be. (laughs) Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it it was awesome. And my kids were born there, and so it was, uh, they're Hawaiians. They feel like they're Hawaiians. (laughs) (laughs) And the Philippines was one of the best examples of a, a places to live that I really learned from because we kind of lost everything during the time we lived there, Mm. but we really realized the importance of family, belongings, everything else didn't matter. We came back to Arizona with nothing and started over again when my oldest one was going into his senior year of high school. Oh, wow. And so it was a great, uh, uh, an experience that made us really appreciate the most important things were that were family. Mm. And what's, you know, I've never really, I, I haven't moved around a lot. I've kind of stayed here local. And I think for like starting a new chapter over is always, I think for most people is like, oh, that's scary. I don't want to start from scratch all over again. What's that like? How do you, you know, was it challenging? Was it good? Was it bad? What was it, What was that experience like? Coming back from the Philippines was a really hard experience because we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. We were sleeping on the floor on ma- on foam pads, and we didn't have any furniture. My aunts and my mom and dad gave, got pans and di- dishes together for us. and I mean, we really, truly lost Nothing. it all. Yeah. <laughs> but 
it was great because we had so many people that helped us. There again were tender mercies of people helping us out and and uh, we had somebody that rented a house to us without having to do the extra money and uh, and the family. Just we my kids learned that the things that really matter it didn't matter what kind of clothes they wore, it didn't matter uh, how much money we had, we had each other, and nobody really realized what a hard struggle we were going through. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I think it's it's cool to see people who, I mean, we're all pretty blessed in general, but, you know, when people are going through stuff and don't have, you know, a whole lot, it, it's, you start realizing how much you're given more than how much you don't have. Yeah, cool. that's right. It's, yeah. it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty cool to see sometimes the people who have the most, mm-hmm. you know, it's like it, you don't ever think about the all you have. You yeah. Know? And the gospel makes the hugest difference. The people mm-hmm. in, in a church that, the friendships that you make there are just, they're invaluable. It, it's amazing how much you grow when you move. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a small town in Utah and never left the state of Utah until I was in college. As soon as I graduated from college, went into the Air Force, then I started moving around a lot. And every time we would move, it was absolutely amazing how quickly we could adjust and make new friends and be happy. So... Moving around, different homes, different locations, different ways of doing things, you grow a lot. Mm. Yeah, it forces you outside that comfort zone. Absolutely. Because it's always, always adapting and changing. So what, what was it like? Cause how, and how long did you serve in the Air Force? Uh, almost 21 years. 21 years, okay. And what was, I mean, what was the draw? Because I know, you know, the serving... In the military, serving your in for the serving, you know your country is not necessarily the most common path for people. So, what what drew you to it? What what interests you? What did you like about it? Tell us what, what was your experience there. <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, I had to take ROTC. It was required. Okay. And. Uh, I came from a family that everybody had served in the military. Hmm. But I didn't know a whole lot about it. <laughs> yeah. And so then when I got into college and qualified to go to pilot training, I thought, quite a challenge. Yeah. I think I'll try it. So I visited with one of my professors, and and he said to me, hey, uh, if you like it, try it. <laughs> if it doesn't work out, you can always go back to be an accountant, you know. That's what I was getting my degree in. Yeah. And so then when I got started flying, I got hooked. Yeah. And uh, the adrenaline that flows is it's great, you know, and I love flying. Yeah, most of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's uh, what, like, what were what were they having you fly back then? Uh, well, I flew a little of everything. Started out in a small prop airplane, and <clears throat> then I was one of the very first pilot training classes to to do most of my pilot training in jet airplanes. Mm. So wow. I flew the T thirty seven and the T thirty three, and then I stayed as an instructor. And uh, instructed students in the T-33 and then the T-37 and then the T-38 <laughs> and then moved on to some fighter airplanes and then back to the training again. So mm-hmm. I I flew, I think it's 15 or 16 different airplanes. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and and so when you, just for, for the timeline's sake, so finish or went to college, came out of college, went into the Air Force, and then what 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 time span was that? Was that during the Vietnam War? Was that 
after, before, what, what was kind of the time? I went into the Air Force in 1959. Mm-hmm. I flew in Vietnam in 1966 and 67. Oh, wow. Okay. Retired from the Air Force in 1980. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. Makes Long sense. time ago. From the time. And and what was that like flying during you know during an actual war during you know when when there's actual things going down and happening? I don't I don't think much about the war part of it. The other part of it was so much fun that that's what I <laughs> tend to focus on. Fair enough. But. <clears throat> For 1966 and 67, when I was flying in Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, there were several things about it that wasn't fun. Yeah. Number one, I left my wife and two little teeny kids yeah. in Texas and was gone for almost a year. Mm. Uh, that was crummy. Yeah. Uh, the people that you lived with when you were there, that wasn't fun, cramped, uh, whatever. And the flying, most of it was, was pretty good. But when they started shooting at you, that's not fun. Yeah. (laughs) Understandable. (laughs) And I had to fly a hundred missions over North Vietnam plus a lot over Laos and South Vietnam and whatever, and then I could go home. Mm. Of the 100 missions that I flew over North Vietnam, uh, there's only about 10 that I wouldn't want to go back and fly again. Mm. But there were about 10 missions that uh, made me realize how... uh, insignificant and fragile I was. Mm. A couple of them, uh, I thought I had met my end, but... Mm. Wow. And and what's, uh, and, and what, like, because I don't think many people get in scenarios where they realize, come to that realization. So what was, what was that like? What, what, what? <clears throat> What do you mean? Well, I mean, I guess where, 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 what was the scenario in which that kind of made you feel that way? I, I flew reconnaissance airplanes. Okay. I took pictures. Okay, that makes sense. So we would go in and take pictures before the fighters or the bombers would come in and, and attack the targets that they were assigned. And then after they had done that, we'd go back and take pictures again. Mm. Uh, the area right around Hanoi, we called it the barrel. But that's where, when you had a mission in that area, you could count on having a lot of flak, triple eight. Mm-hmm. You could count on seeing missiles. You could occasionally see a MiG or two uh, coming at you. But the missiles were the things that destroyed more airplanes from the Vietnam War than anything else. Mm-hmm. And... They were fast. Yeah, we might be supersonic, and yet they'd still be three times as fast as we were. So hmm. you learn to pick them up as fast as you could visually, and then outmaneuver them. Gotcha. And was that like? Was it pretty? I mean, I would, I would assume you you got trained on how to how to outmaneuver missiles or was it kind a lot of, of a, it was on the job on training. the job training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah what do you what do you do in those type of situations when it's i mean if you could pick up the missile visually and if you could ever get it 90 degrees to you hmm. you could outmaneuver it easily gotcha and they knew that the enemy yeah and so they would wait until they could fire at your tail and then it was harder to pick up, and then it was harder to outmaneuver. I see. And are these, and with these missiles, I, I just have zero knowledge on it. Would, would they just, like, they would just fire a missile, and are they tracking missiles? Radar or? guided. Okay. And they have two different kind of fuses on them. 
One of them is a proximity fuse, and the other one is a contact. Mm. And usually, if they would get within about 200 feet of a target, they would explode, and it would wipe the airplane out. Yeah, makes sense. So, so in those scenarios, when you're getting a missile shot at you, are you trying to flip around, go the opposite direction, head back to head back to base? You have to complete the mission and get the photos if it's too soon, or are they shooting them after you've already kind of gone the... All the above. All the above. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They usually waited until you were on your way out. Okay, that makes sense. But not always. Yeah. Sometimes they would just fire them at you just... I think to get your attention, but but uh, usually they'd wait until you were on your way out. We would usually take pictures at about twelve, thirteen thousand feet above the ground. <clears throat> then you would do anything that you had to do. Usually, you would light the afterburners, roll the aircraft inverted, and head back to as close to the ground as you could. Mm. Makes sense. So, I guess this is, at least my, my, my thought on this is, when you have one of those experiences where, you know, it's, it's a tough spot and yeah. it's kind of like, you know, like you said, it was, you wouldn't want to go back and do that again. How do you, when you're in the military or the Air Force or whatever you're doing, how do you, how do you get back in the plane the next time and go, okay, I'm going to go on this mission, even though <laughs> that was not a good experience the last time? <laughs> Some people couldn't. Yeah. We had people that walked in and said, hey, court-martial me. Take my wings. Do whatever you have to do, but I can't handle it, you know? Yeah. We had people that, uh, in a matter of about 30 or 45 days, would lose 50 or 60 pounds because couldn't eat, sleep, whatever, and just couldn't do it. Yeah. I was paid. That was my job. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I thought I was good enough that I could handle it without uh, getting eliminated, and I, apparently I did. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you had, had a lot did. of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. My kids, uh, my kids ask me, "Who's the greatest fighter pilot that uh, I ever knew?" And I said, "You're looking at it." <laughs> What were you saying, Mom? Well, there was one close call. I remember you sharing with Mitchell that time where you felt there was some divine intervention. Absolutely. April the 30th, 1967. I had a missile that went off so close to my airplane that I thought it was all over. I really did. I, I started looking at inside the cockpit for indications that the engines were going to quit or catch fire or whatever, and got home from that flight, never had even one little hole in the airplane. Hmm. So, uh, yes, I I consider that one of those days when there were a lot of tender mercies. Hmm. Wow. And what, I mean... What do you do when, like, how, I don't even know what the best question is I'm trying to ask here, but what, what exactly, like, that's got to be a testimony builder. Absolutely. And, and how has that, how has that fueled your testimony in the gospel? When, <clears throat> when you come that close yeah. to being eliminated, then you realize that, hey, uh, the Lord has something else for me to do. Hmm. I got to figure out what it is. Yeah. And so then you start doing the best you can of being a husband, being a dad, being a a friend, being a service provider, whatever. And you do the best you can and every time you do one of those things it gets you a little bit stronger. Mm. Like I say, this philosophy that I have developed didn't happen when I was 20 or 30 or 40 or even 50. And now that I'm in my 80s, it's it's getting there. 
Yeah. I'm not totally there, but I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty close. He's pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit both, because you both obviously have strong testimonies. The gospel's a key aspect in both your lives. I mean, that's just obvious. So what what's built that foundation? What's built that testimony? And I know we've talked a little about some some examples of times where we've seen tender mercies, but what's kind of been, you know, sometimes it's not easy. When life gets hard, it's not easy to always want to follow the right path. What's What's been your guys's, what's what's held you firm to the gospel and your faith? Well, I, I firm, uh, have been active most of my life, all my life, yeah. and, and had a pretty good testimony from the time I was eight years old. But I, in, with the moving around and everything else, having the gospel in our lives and having people that are in the church around you, it's a built-in family when wherever you go. You're not, you're not alone. And, and knowing that, the, that you're not alone, that you have people there for you and the gospel and, the, and, and that uh, Christ is there for you, I think that that helps you through an awful lot of things. Mm. And, and I think friends that we've made through the through through the church both him before and 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 after the friends that we have in the gospel are things that help strengthen us and strengthen our testimonies but that's why it's so important to really stay active all your life because no matter where you go there's people there that will be your friends mm. and you make friends fast when you go to someplace new that's not around the center of the church because they're they're the only ones there that you have a sure relationship with. Yeah. And so I think that that's made a huge difference to me. The community. Yeah, the community that. you have, yeah. Realizing that we're all Yeah, it's interesting cuz you know, especially in some some areas where the church is more very small. You know, small or even or even where we're at, you know, the church is more densely populated, there's just more members. But when you uh when you get into a place where there's not as many members, you start realizing, you know, we're all just we're all just people trying to figure out life, and and we can, you know, we can come together and be a community and be, you know, have common goals. There's a lot more in common than sometimes we give people credit for. Yeah, I think you realize that quickly. When when the Savior walked the earth, he said, "Men are that they might have joy." Yeah. Well, I was grew up in the church. When I got into college, I became kind of lackadaisical and then got into the Air Force and and being accepted by friends and whatever was very important in my life. And, and so I kind of lost contact with the church. Mm-hmm. And then I married a woman that was not a member of the church. Mm-hmm. After she became a member, uh, we decided that, hey, we better live our lives the way that we know we ought to. When we did that, we found out how much happier we were. (laughs) You know, we thought we were happy before, but these friends that you, you develop, the... The smile that you see on somebody's face when you provide a little service and whatever. We really became happy. And the more I serve, the happier I become. And so, yes, that's how it's developed. And that's what you get when you move around and you take different jobs. You do different uh, callings. You do different things, different ways. Happiness sets in. Mm. Yeah, it gives you a different sense of purpose being in those type of, you know, it gives you a, sometimes we, like, when we're doing things for us, right, it's an internal sense of purpose, which is important. But when you start doing outward things, it's an external sense of purpose, which is pretty powerful as well. It is. Makes you feel so much better. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) If you're focused on how can you do good. Um, What, CT, with, with 
your first wife, how did that, like, because I think a lot of people sometimes, especially in the church or just in general, it's like, you know, marrying someone who's not necessarily of the same faith or beliefs or, you know, it may not even be religion. It may be politics, maybe anything that's different. Um, sometimes is nerve wracking. So how did that, how'd you, how did you guys make that work? And then what kind of, how did, how that she lead to wine to be a part of the gospel? And, and then you guys kind of getting more focused on the, on, on faith. Uh, divine intervention. <laughs> <laughs> we got married. She hadn't even heard about Mormonism. Yeah. Then, then know anything about it. We had been married about uh, four months in Texas, and I got orders to move to Arizona. <laughs> the neighbors were members of the church, active members of the church. Mm. We rented a house. The landlord came by every week to check on the evaporative coolers to see how the shrubs in the yard was doing, see if the concrete was cracking in the driveway. He had a lot of excuses to come by. (laughs) And then we found out he was a counselor in the temple presidency of the Mesa, Arizona Temple. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) After visiting for about six months he said why aren't you a member of the church to my wife (laughs) he said I got a couple of friends that'll come by and talk to you Mm. is that okay and we said sure (laughs) (laughs) and that's how it happened Mm. and then what was the what was the process from there I mean obviously couple friends stopped by, I'm sure, but... (laughs) She took the missionary discussions, was uh, converted, baptized. A year later, we were in the temple. Six months after that, when I went to Vietnam. Mm. Wow. So all of these things happen in order for a reason. Mm. And uh, we were active the rest of our lives. And... Happy, yeah. yeah. And I think you know it's interesting. We've been talking. I, I, I love this, the common theme. I feel like of our conversation as far has been even through everything. You know, finding happiness. And um, what, like, I guess what's like, yeah? You're gonna say something. Well, I, I think even more than happiness is joy. Mm. You know, that having joy in your life. I know since since we've been married, it's just been. Uh, a life full of joy. We have our little moments, but you know, on on a whole, it's it's the joy that we have it with each other and mm-hmm. with the gospel, with our friends. That it makes a huge difference. And if you look for the joy in life, yeah, you'll find it. I've always, you know, I've always been curious too, because you both are you know remarried to each other, mm-hmm. and um, what sometimes that can be really challenging. You know, being married and then being oh, it was so hard. It was, it was hard for him to take on me. The other day, she asked me. You know, she said, "I asked her. I said, honey, have you ever considered divorce?'" And she thought for a minute, and she said, "No. As a matter of fact, I haven't. Murder, yeah." <laughs> Oh man, what what like? But how do you how do you make that work? How do you how does how does that work? Because it's you know even even with young people, I see a lot of my friends who get married and then a couple years later getting divorced. And you have to remember that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, yes, we have bad days, mm. but we also laugh every day. Yeah. Every day of our life. And when you're having fun, when you find joy, you can overlook those bad days. Right. And as a second marriage, I think we had learned a lot from previous marriages. And we we just learned to laugh at things instead of get upset with things. You mm. know, you just, I don't know, It's it's been a real joy for us. I think we've had a, a 
it hasn't been it hasn't been hard. Yeah. There are couples that go into second marriages that it does is very hard and have they struggle. Sixty percent fail. Yeah. But we've been very very blessed and and a lot of us because we live the gospel, we go to the temple, we were have worked at the temple for nine years and and you know, those things just really pull you together and yeah. have good people around you. Yeah. Yeah, those found kind of foundational blocks. Yeah. And luckily our all our children were pretty good with us getting married also. Well, that's good. Yeah, a couple of them that were a little hesitant right at the very beginning, but it didn't take long for them to come around either, so. And why was that? Just because, just kind of the natural hesitations? Or yeah. Are you going to take care of my dad? Are you <laughs> sure you're going to take care of my dad? Do you really love him? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when they were reassured of that, they... When they saw how happy we were. Yeah. That changed their minds real fast. Yeah. And how how did you guys meet? How did that kind of come come we, to be? We, we kind of go way back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we I actually, we got married in two thousand and ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We've known each other since nineteen. Well, we've known each other. Well, I knew who very he was well since nineteen eighty two. Yeah. Nineteen eighty two. Okay. So. And but she knew about me. I didn't know about her. I knew her husband back in 1964. Yeah. 64. Okay. And I knew who he was. I I was in the ward for a short time after we got married, and I knew who, who I but I never talked to him or anything. I just knew who he was. Gotcha. And how did you guys? Was it just like like a work work from work relationships, knowing church. each other? Church. Okay. Church. Gotcha. Yeah. Because you both live in, in Arizona? Yeah, he was a bishop when we first moved back to Arizona. And, and it wasn't the same ward we were in, but we knew his kids, and our kids went to Three of our kids went to school of his and mine went to school together. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, that makes sense. You know, so we've, we, we've been good friends for yeah. a long time. He actually worked with my ex-husband for a little while even. Oh, wow, okay. And went to Panama. Oh, <laughs> what was in Panama? What was because you guys have been to Panama a few times. Yeah, was like that, well, that was after the kids moved down there, but it was the business that they were in. It was yeah. an in, insurance business that oh, gotcha. that they moved from here to the main office in Panama. So. And it went okay. to different things. We did uh, scrap metal and then land development, and so several different things. Hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. It was very up and down, but. (laughs) (laughs) So, since you guys have been kind of this retired chapter of your life and together, and what's kind of been, and this is probably more of just more of a lighthearted question, but I know you guys have gone on some cool trips. You guys have done some fun things together. What's been some of the the highlights, maybe? And obviously, the gospel, right? Oh, yeah. Key foundation, but. What's been some of just the fun highlights of going and doing things together? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, we do a lot of stuff together, don't we? Yeah. We take in a cruise. To Alaska. Yeah. Well, Spent uh, and a few extra days in Anchorage, and it was fun. We spent 11 days back visiting her old Stomping grounds in Hawaii, and, <laughs> and people remembered me. And, <laughs> they remembered the lambs, you know. I didn't know him, but yeah. you know. So, and then we go visit kids wherever they live, and grandkids, and so yeah, those are fun things to do. Mm. But <clears throat> even more than those uh, is we have managed to stay busy. Mm. I worked full-time until I was 76 years old. And what would you do? Well, after I got out of the Air Force, I tried a couple of other little jobs that didn't pan out, and then I get into school transportation, school buses, Mm -hmm. and I did that for 26 years. Mm. And finally decided at age 76 that, I had graduated, and so. <laughs> and what? And what? What did you like about? Because I actually, 
I remember you driving the bus for one of my school field trips one time, and that was pretty cool because I got on the bus. I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but what, you know, what, and I've got a, my grandpa did, did, well, I guess he did school transportation. He did a 30 years. Things, 30 years yeah. in school transportation yeah. of some so- sorts. So, um, what, what did you like about it? What, I mean, t- 26 years is a, a long time to do it, so you must have been enjoying it, and there probably were good parts and bad parts, and I, you Again, know. <laughs> they were not all fun days, <laughs> but the majority of them were. Yeah. Getting to know young people was fabulous, just, you know, and, and I see some of them today, and I get high fives, and, hey, Mr. Davis, how are you, you know, and so it's fun. Yeah. But the people that you got to meet the people that you got to work for was fun. Yeah. Same thing with her in, what, 20 years of... Uh, working at the, an optometrist's office. Worked for Chandler Eye Care. Mm, okay. And made a lot of friends there. I see people around Chandler all the time that I know and will stop and talk to me. And so... That was really fun, and my sister worked there too, so that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think we can, like, because I talk to a lot, like a lot of people my age and a lot of friends I have, you know, or even younger than me, because I, I work over at one of the it's one of the high schools here, and I coach basketball, and so I get to work oh, with a lot of that's cool. younger younger kids, and and a lot of them, you know, don't know how to communicate, talk, make friends, it's like, you know, it's hard. And even as they get older into, yeah, phones, I think have played a huge role in that of kind of shutting down communication. Um, but you guys have shared, you know, with, with moving around, the travel, the, you know, meeting people, like that's played a key role is making those friendships, that community. And even to where you're st- stuck in a career where for 26 years or for a long, I, I don't know how many years you said. 20. 20, 20 years in, in kind of the same career path. I mean, that's just not as common anymore with anybody. So, and and then you said a lot of it was that community, those friendships, the people you met. So, what what can people my age and and coming up? What can what like? How do you guys make friends? How did you form those connections? What can what can people do? Well, I think one of the things that we we do still is we get to church early. We make sure that we greet people. CT gives high fives and hugs to everybody. <laughs> and and if we see any, we get a lot of young couples in our world. We have old people and young, young couples. We have, get a lot of young couples that come in, and we make a real effort to go and introduce ourselves and welcome to the ward. And as a result, the ward is a very friendly ward. Yeah. Not just because of us, but a lot of other people do with yeah. it. But we... We put ourselves out there. Yeah. We, you know, we don't hide behind our phones or, or being shy or anything like that. We make an effort to be friendly to everybody. Mm. We always have a good supply of Diet Coke in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> and we invite people over to the house. Yeah, mm. we have people over a lot. We have what we call game nights. Yeah. And we invite three or four couples at a time. Yeah, you've and, been there at one. And you need to do more. I've seen the Diet Coke stash. I and yeah. they <laughs> comes in handy. Yes, it does. And when you, when you do these kind of things, uh, phones kind of take a backseat. Mm. And yeah. people laugh. They have fun. And they get to know each other. And as long as we can do that, people will stay happy. Yeah. And the people that are depressed and whatever are those that will not yeah. let themselves out. Mm. Will not yeah. and he's go got past a, their comfort zone and, yeah. and have fun. He has a great supply of jokes also. <laughs> so he gets people laughing all the time. And you know that. You read his jokes. I've heard a few of the jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you want to share that joke? On that? No. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> what? It only took your dad a week to figure it out. <laughs> so, what? What was the? How? Because we've all been family friends for a long time, and and I've I've seen you guys as almost my like 
<laughs> I guess third pair of grandparents. <laughs> you know, I we feel like grandma and grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but a lot of it was knowing my my dad and and when he was younger and and then I think you guys played a pivotal role in my parents meeting. So I guess you played a pivotal role in me being here. So, <laughs> um, so how did you guys meet? Like what, how'd you meet my dad? Church. I mean, okay. Church. Yeah. yeah. We're church. How did that? And why? Cause I know he ended up living with you guys for a while. What, how do you convince you to take him? In? <laughs> well, one of his missionary companions was my nephew mm. and the nephew lived with me and, and one day he came to me and he said, hey, I got a friend that's moving to Arizona and he needs a place to live. And we had an empty bedroom. Mm. He said, is it okay if he comes here? And I said, sure. <laughs> of course, that's happened. How many people have you had live with us? <clears throat> I have no idea. And me, somewhere, I have too. Somewhere I've had a lot around of friends and stuff that have lived with 15 us. 15 to 20 years. different people that have actually lived in our house that were not. Wow. Blood family, yeah, yeah. Huh. I guess that's another thing we're we both and I was doing it with my family and he was doing it with his family, but you know we both have done that through the years. So yeah, open doors, open arms, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Staying, I I think that's uh, and maybe that's really the the answer to that question is being being open, you know, because like Absolutely. we talk about the phone, right? We're People close themselves off. You know, they close themselves mm -hmm. out from growth opportunities and being uncomfortable and and doing all those things. I always joke because I, I I don't mind text messages and things like that. But if I if I have my druthers, most of my friends will tell will, can confirm this. But I usually will first thing I do if anything as I'm on Facetime trying to face call them, <laughs> and they're like they're like Matt, stop trying to Facetime me. I'm like I'm like I'm sorry. I just I'd prefer to Facetime you than anything yeah. else. So. So I totally get that, but um, I look back yeah. on it, and of all of these young people, yeah, that have lived with me, I learned something from every one of them, and uh, I hope that they learn something from yeah. living with me. But uh, in spite of that, it was it was a form of service that I was providing and it made me happy and it made them happy and and that's what life's about is being happy yeah. we've even had a couple of granddaughters and stuff live with us and, and niece and yeah. even since we've been married hmm. yeah. yeah yeah it doesn't it just you can't you can't replace that human connection of working with Absolutely. people and and sharing and giving and I mean it just Absolutely, can't replace it at all. What was uh, we didn't we didn't cover this much, but what was we talked a little bit about you know your time in the Air Force during the Vietnam War, but what was it like you know when you were doing the training and and instructing? Because I know a lot of people sometimes they're like oh, I don't don't put me as a teacher, don't make me instruct, but um, but you sound like you really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun memories doing that. So what was your experience there? Well, I I often say that. While I was an instructor pilot teaching young student pilots in the Air Force, I saved 500 lives. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> 499 of them were mine <laughs> because of the mistakes that students would make. Yeah. They didn't know they did it, but it's a learning process. Hmm. Nobody, nobody gets in an airplane and goes out and takes off and flies around and then comes back and land the very first time they ever do it. Right. <laughs> Just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, the mistakes that they make would kill them. Right. Until they develop some confidence and some motor skills and, and uh, the ability to think ahead, then... They can do it the way the Air Force wants them to do it. Mm. So yes, it was it was a challenge. Everybody didn't do it. Yeah. The elimination rate was pretty good, mm. but uh, when they graduated, they had the confidence that they could go out and do the job that they were asked to do with no problems at all. 
And that's why I say uh, best pilot I ever knew was right <laughs> <laughs> So what would and, and what would be like for someone who maybe is wondering if the Air Force or flying planes or something like that is what they want to do, what would you what would you tell them? I'd go back to the advice that I was given in 1956 where the professor said to me, if you think you'd like it, give it a try. Mm. If it doesn't work, you can always go back to your other job. Mm. If you decide to go to the military, you have to realize that they're the boss. Right. You don't get to do what you want to do. You're going to do what they want you to do, when you want to do it, when they want you to do it, how they want you to do it. Right. So... Uh, you have to accept that uh, discipline in the military is at the top of the list. Mm. If you can accept that, you can be successful at whatever you want to do, whether it's a pilot, whether it's a medic, whether it's a personnel man or whatever it is, you can do it. But you have to do it their way. Mm. Interesting. And that is that pretty challenging for a lot of people, do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Today, people don't like to stand in line at the grocery store. <laughs> That's true. You know, and and so they want to get preferential treatment. They want to, and it doesn't happen in the military. Yeah. <clears throat> You're talking to an old-timer. <laughs> <laughs> Today, in the world, we have people that want to do things their way mm-hmm. when they want to do it. Yeah. Our military has never been weaker. Yeah. But until we get to, to the point that we can convince people that they do things the military's way, then we can build back up. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think, but I think that's even stems deeper than just the military too, because you know I, I do well, too. Yes. I think on just even a, you know, go back to a gospel-oriented conversation. A lot of people want to do it their way on their time, and mm-hmm. don't even factor in. And think that they're right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> don't factor in the Lord or or His plan or His path or or any of those things anymore. Yeah. So what's saying? I guess what would be some advice? From an old timer <laughs> to to young people now who are trying to figure out life, and I think we've already touched on a lot of good prime examples. But what would what would be some good good counsel to young people trying to figure it out and trying to find their path and live life, but just are unsure? I'm letting you answer that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the old-timer. <laughs> yeah, you're the old-timer. <laughs> Number one, <clears throat> you have to find something that makes you happy. Mm. Whether it's the job, whether it's a companion, whether it is uh, uh, hobbies, whatever it is. You've got to find something that makes you happy. Yeah. That you enjoy. Mm. Then... You have to learn as much about that as you possibly can. And you have to adapt your life to what that goal, whether it be job, marriage, or whatever, requires of you. And be willing to adapt. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. That's great. And I think that with young couples starting out marriages they've got to be tolerant and they especially need to find opportunity an opportunity like he said every day to, to have something to laugh about mm-hmm. and find joy with and to let your spouse know who the, how much you love them and care for them and and be able to laugh at things and I think that helps a lot. It kind of lightens it up a little bit. And, you know, a lot of things that we think are so serious 
are, mean nothing in the long run of things. You know, you've got to kind of look at the long picture too. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot more and a lot of struggles getting there, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> there may be a thunderstorm today, but the sun will shine. The sun will shine tomorrow. Yes. No, I think that's so true. And yeah, I, I love that tying, you know, humor and and I mean, I I know I've had plenty of times where I've talked to or gone upset about something, and a couple hours later, I was like, I don't even know I was upset about that. Yeah. But in that moment, you know, you let. It's funny, I. So in coaching, because I coach girls varsity basketball, that's what I do over at the school, and and a lot of, a lot of people ask like, Coach, why don't you yell very much? <laughs> you know, because you get some coaches that yell a lot oh, and yeah. scream, and and my thing is really, I look at them like, well, usually when you're screaming, it's because you're losing, <laughs> and uh, and I figure the only thing that can make a one loss worse is a second loss by losing your temper and uh, getting upset and. I've yet to see anyone flourish after being yelled or screamed at. So <laughs> I think usually it doesn't work the, in their advantage. So I always just. That's awesome. Yeah. I just think losing. And, your, and the same in a marriage. That's yeah. the way it should be. Yeah. What, what did it add? Yeah. What did it add? Yeah. Other than some hurt emotions and then angry parents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And how important is it, you know, tomorrow? Right. What kind of an example were you? Yeah. Yeah. What did you? What What impact did you make on them in Correct. the long run? And usually, the truth is too. I mean, it's. I mean, there's just so many. There's so many ways you can communicate, motivate, and talk to somebody without them. You know, rarely. Like I think about like the spirit. Or, you know, when we get revelation from the Lord, I, I don't think the Lord ever never had an experience where I felt He was screaming at me. So, yes. <laughs> per se. And usually it's a still, small voice that we hear, isn't it? Yeah. Right. That's, I, I, actually, I'm curious about that. How, with, when it comes to, cause I think a lot of people, when, when people talk about receiving answers, revelation, kind of, you know, when you're in a pickle or trying to figure something out, it's not always, you know, you kind of got to turn to the Lord and go, okay, what, what do you need me to do? Mm-hmm. How do you, how, how have you guys learned to identify you know, the spirit in your life and the Lord communicating to you. Cause I think a lot of people hear that and they, you know, read scriptures or people, you know, say like, you know, get on your knees, you'll hear it, you'll feel it. But they go, I don't know what that means. So what, what has been, what's worked for you guys? What has, how do you hear and communicate with the spirit and Lord? I don't think it's always a big revelation or a mm-hmm. big, or even not always a still small voice. Right. A lot of times it's just the feeling you get uh, feeling good about the decision that you've made and what you're doing Mm -hmm. just i don't know what do you think well as good as i am i've made a lot of mistakes and i learn Mm. i learn faster now than i did when i was young (laughs) and i think that that is a big part of uh growing and maturing is that you have to make mistakes, yeah. and you have to learn from them. You don't let them get you down. You just adjust and do it right the second time. Mm. That's why I got married the second time. I'm <laughs> trying to do it right. Do it right again. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, I think a lot of people are fearful of failure or mistakes, and so they just stop, yeah. and uh, and being okay with mistakes and failure is like, I mean, that's an important, yeah. that's a hard lesson it's, to learn, but important lesson. You have to have those failures to be able to accomplish things. Mm-hmm. It's probably interesting being an instructor in the Air Force and having to fix a lot of early mistakes by others. That's probably teaches a pretty. It's something you learn to recognize. It's something that you learn is going to happen, so you don't panic. Mm. Yeah. Well, I've sure enjoyed our time learning about you guys, hearing your stories. I mean, it's just been it's been eye opening for me because I think there's so much we can learn from. First of all, just ex- people's experiences, but then also you guys having lots of experiences to share and and. And depth and knowledge of life, 
I think is just powerful. And I think a lot of people are going to learn from what we talked about today. And I loved, I, I love finding the joy in your life. I think that's, that's a powerful statement that people don't hear. I agree. Enough. I, I totally agree. So thank you for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll have to do this again. Cause I know, I know we've <laughs> only scratched the surface of <laughs> stories and experiences and, and, uh, and, and, and things we can talk about. So we'll, we'll do this again soon. Thank you. Okay. Hey, thanks.